Hello and welcome to Detroit from Across the Pond with Andrew Lewis-Smith. This is a podcast which looks at Detroit, its people and initiatives and projects which are making a difference to the city and its communities. Every week I'll be asking a new interviewee about Detroit, the projects that they are involved in and what it is that they love about Detroit and the people who live there. I'm your host, Andrew Lewis-Smith. Hello and welcome to today's show and before we get into the actual interview, um, it's a poignant time for me this because it is actually the last episode of season one but fear not if you've enjoyed this season already well into planning season two which should be coming out late September or early October. I just really want to thank you the listeners because in a way you guys are what makes this podcast real in some ways because it's not much fun just talking to blank space so thank you so much for the nice feedback thank you for some of the uh, recent things that have been happening uh, particularly to Emily T Gale who has been uh, rooting for me and looking for people who might want to be interviewed in Detroit uh, Emily is going to be on the podcast at some point herself and also to all my guests as well who've just been great to the food blogger Jewel and the bite tonight who you can find that on Instagram who's connected recently and that's been great and to all the people who have just given me general feedback it's really really nice today's interview it's uh, with Tom Leeper who actually I think was the first person who I contacted in Detroit to ask if he wanted to be into an interview and it was really and it was a bit nerve-wracking just cold calling people three and a half thousand miles away back in the, the start of this year pre-covid by the way and this interview is pre-covid and Tom was great he just said yes and we've had a few technical problems and uh, had to do re-interview a couple of times so actually what you might find is that we've obviously got to know each other reasonably well the interview itself winds backwards and forwards uh, Tom's project is called Every Linear Mile and effectively what he's done is cycle every mile in Detroit of which there's a lot three or four thousand might be more than that and whilst he's been on his ordinary rides he's just been doing it around his day job he's documented street art some of the buildings uh, various installations such as piles of shoes and bottles and various other things and he's just recorded all of those and done regular blog posts with photos and it's just an amazing project a real cultural archive many of the things that in this interview we've got Tom and I have already been talking together and we dive straight in to talk talking about every linear mile elm and then the interview progresses along nicely so i would just say thank you again for listening and enjoy so yeah elm started uh, about three years ago i was uh, riding my bike in the city mostly just to explore um, the city more so than get exercise from it and uh, what i found was i was riding the same parts of the city over and over again the downtown the waterfront yeah. uh, things like that and I just felt like I needed to see a little bit more of the city or I was more curious about other parts of the city. So uh, I started doing other sections. Um, and then I started wondering, like, how hard would it be to ride the entire city? So I took a little area. I got on my bike and I kind of rode up and down every street and every single cross street and tracked how long it took me and and um, and how many miles it was. And, yeah, I was kind of shocked. Like, yeah, it was, it was uh, a lot of miles, a lot of hours just to do what ended up being a small chunk of the city. And That's big as well because I think, did you say it's, what, three or 4,000 miles? It, Something like yeah, that. Yeah, uh, so far I've ridden 4,000 miles over the last, uh, three years right you were also saying that you're not you're not per se a biker i mean you like cycling but you're not a biker so so i should not definitely ask you any nerdy questions about biking <laughs> no i would not ask nerdy questions about biking. <laughs> i couldn't even tell you, also... people often ask me like what kind of bike i have and i'm like a trek and they're like 
well, what kind of truck? I'm like, I don't know, a truck. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not a nerdy biker by any means. So, also, I think you self-defined as, have you heard the expression mammal? Mm, no, no, I have not. No, so you're definitely not one of those middle-aged men in Lycra. So you, oh, yeah, you, that is not I. I, I think... admit, yeah. <laughs> I'm your regular gym shorts and a t-shirt, so. <laughs> because for people who, who don't know, um, you have some, you you can have some pretty harsh winters, can't you, over in Michigan and in Detroit? And, and But you're a real year round biker yeah i am my my kind of my rule is as long as the roads are clear enough uh like i don't want to ride on ice i, I definitely have had a yeah. couple of spills on my bike over the last couple of years where you know i thought the roads are fine but suddenly hit an ice, ice patch and they go flying um but in general yeah i try and ride year round now uh because i have a day job and i only ride in the weekends so yeah. there's some limitations with that obviously so so what do people in your day job think about what you do do they think oh that's really cool and you're capturing something about detroit or do they think you're a bit bonkers mm, i work with a lot of people who live in in uh different parts of the country so some, yeah. some of them have definitely been intrigued and asked me a lot of questions about the city um I think um, my friends and kind of the, a lot of the folks who I meet in Detroit are more intrigued just because a lot of people who live here just don't explore lots of the city. Um, lots of people go to okay. different districts and in those districts you can reach by uh, highways so you don't see a lot of other things that the city has to offer. So I think uh, locals are really, really intrigued by it and they want to know more and they want to know where things are at. Uh, and then I've had people reach from out of state, out of country, with more particular questions. Um, I had dinner a couple weeks ago with a woman from Germany who would fall in love with the city. So when she was coming to visit for a while, she asked if, if we could meet. And so we sat around for four hours and talked about the city of Detroit. So um, it's been fun kind of seeing people react to the city through my pictures and such that's great and that's something that you're doing this project has brought you a bit like with this podcast i'm finding it sort of make links and you don't really know how it's going to take you but it sounds like you've you've things have opened up for you in, in different sorts of ways yeah, yeah for sure and and you know i i love the city wholeheartedly so um i love when people reach out and want to talk about it uh, and i'm no detroit historian I, you know there's lots of people who know the city better than i do um there's yeah. just less people who have seen as much of the city as i have so um i guess that's my perspective which is amazing so are you surprised that um people fall in love with detroit i mean i'm quite i've never been there but i'm quite captivated by the city yeah, I think um, I, the city just has something special to it. And I think it's hard to know unless you come here. I mean, it, it has its rough patches, but, yeah. you know, it's interesting to see a city that has has those kind of challenges where people are still so dedicated and not giving up on it. I mean, obviously, a lot of people have moved away, but usually that's for, for jobs and such subsistence they don't want to leave but they kind of need to to provide for their family and uh, but a lot of people kind of fight through it and be like yeah i know there's there's still enough jobs enough things and my family's here and, yeah and i want to stick it through yeah and it feels like there's a little bit of a renaissance going on as well in terms of some investment and and maybe it's all focused on big shiny buildings i don't know i don't know what you think about that yeah it's funny uh there's no question the the downtown area um you know if someone was here 20 years ago and they came today they would be shocked that like how the downtown was always safe, but now it feels amazingly safe and beautiful. And right. uh, there's just so much more character to it. And people are like, oh my God, like you, if you're in, in the downtown area, you definitely feel like there's been this amazing renaissance. If you head out to the neighborhoods and with 220 square kilometers, there's a lot of neighborhoods. You still see yeah. a lot of blight and, uh, and urban decay and those kind of things. But I think the city's been doing some things right that, like, you can't fix all of that in, in a few years. That it is a long-term 
uh, investment to try and bring back a city that has that much. So they've done some unique things where they've um, allowed people to buy lots next to them, like abandoned lots and let them rent them for yeah. three years at a low cost. And by doing that, you have people like taking care of empty lots next to them. They've done some cool things with the park systems where they've, um, they've actually taken any park and put large boulders around the whole park. So because at one point teenagers would drive cars into the, to the park. Right. Okay. It. And so they've done some amazing things like that are low cost just to preserve, preserve certain areas. They've uh, cleared a lot of abandoned homes over the years. Uh, they've done some forestation and some uh, urban farms or something like 115 community farm. Uh, I'm sorry, 150, uh, I'm sorry, 1500 community farms in the city. So you would just end up taking this city that is basically all buildings and all homes. And suddenly you have pseudo forest growing up, you know, all these gardens growing up. Yeah. Uh, and that, um, that takes the city back to kind of some of its Yeah. And what's amazing is that we know from the research that open space and parks actually is really good for people's general health, mental and physical. So in a way, although there's the problems, hopefully long term, that's going to be really helpful for Detroit in terms of quality of life for people. Yeah, that's yeah, very true. What is, with Elm, what what have been the most interesting things that you've discovered about your city? Because as you say, that uh, in many ways, you know more about much of Detroit, not the central areas and other people. So what have, what have been the highlights for you and what have you discovered? Um, a lot of it is, uh, well, one there, I say the uniqueness of the different parts of the city. Like, again, when you just kind of go to the same neighborhood sections of the city, you just don't realize the personalities that the different parts of the city have. And, and so it's been nice kind of learning those personalities, if you will. Um, yeah. But also along with that is just seeing where people have tried to make an impact to the city and, and the whole art focus that I've had, which, you know, take a picture of, of all the public art. That's where you see it, where like someone really tried to like save this neighborhood by paying artists to do, you know, public pieces of art all over the place. Or in this section, a bunch of graffiti artists have come in and be like, okay, well, here's a blank canvas that no one's ever going to take back. So I'm going to claim that canvas. And, um, you know, if you're having a rough day and you're coming home from work, just seeing some piece of art kind of pop up out of nowhere is sometimes, <laughs> a, you know, a little thing that can make your day. So, um, so yeah, that's been a kind of a, a piece of the city, which I've appreciated and, and continue to appreciate. Yeah. And, and for people at uh, your website is it's every linear mile.com. Is that, that right? Is correct, yes. On that website, you document your different rides and then there's a lovely little map of the, the route you've been, but also you document lots and lots of, I don't know how many photographs you've got now in terms of that you've taken. Yeah. I, I've taken probably, uh, probably 30,000 plus photos. Um, wow. Um, so there is a little, uh, combing through them to figure out which ones to use. <laughs> Just a little. Yeah. Um, I, there's, I think there's like five or 6,000 that I've pinned to my digital map. Um, I still, I'm way behind in that. So I've, I've got to upload a, a lot more. And there's also the question of like, what is art? Like people often you know what mm. is art. And I kind of use the, um, the definition is as long as someone puts some effort into it. So if it's a little kid and they spent, you know, an hour working on a, a piece of art, then I like I take a picture of that. And uh, if it's a grief graffiti artist who spent a long time putting some piece together, then I take pictures of it. But you know, if someone just spray painted a building and, and basically ruined the building in doing so, I try and avoid those kind of things. My impression was from reading stuff on your from interviews and on your website is that much of what you're cap you're capturing may not even be there now and certainly may not be there in a few years' time. Yeah, that's very true. I I mean 
it's what's interesting about the project is, you know, a lot of what I'm capturing today, even since I started the project, I think about three years ago, I took pictures of some buildings and now I, I ride, drive by and the building's completely gone. I'm like, oh, okay, well, at least I got to see it, got to capture it. Uh, and yeah, I'm not the first yeah. one. There's lots of urban explorers and photographers in the city. So I'm there. I'm not alone by any means. Um, but it's for me, it's a, a powerful thing just to try to capture as much as I can you know, before they go, before it's gone. And some of it you hope lasts forever. Um, there's a, an area called the Eastern Market in the city, which is a, a beautiful area. It's a you know massive market in the city. Yeah. Uh, but there's uh, tons of murals around there. But even with those, like murals only last so long. So every few years they bring in new artists to replace the murals that are there. So, um, yeah, even capturing those before they're gone is meaningful. Yeah, I saw one of the people I'm hoping to interview uh, is Richard Wilson, who's a British artist who did the, um, I think it's the, is it the Motown Museum? Stevie Wonder oh, mural? Yeah. Uh, I know the mural you're talking about. Um, I don't think it's actually near the museum, but, yeah, it's representative uh, of the Motown music and the Motown era. Yeah, so he's one of the people I think I'd like to try and interview because he seems to, from what I can tell on his Instagram feed, he seems to have really fallen in love with Detroit as well. So what have you learned about yourself about doing this project? Because you've been pretty dedicated. You've been pretty focused. You know, it's not just cycling around and taking pictures. You're then uploading stuff. You're writing stuff. Yeah, it's funny. I, I think um, growing up, I was uh, pretty, uh, I mean, I was a pretty good student and I think I just kind of followed the set plan of, you know, you go to university, you get a job and, and then you have your job and your personal life and the concept of a passion project, like something else you do that is not yeah. one of those two buckets. I really hadn't considered till, till pretty late in life. And so seeing that you can have this other thing that you, you know, that, that you don't make any money on or you make, yeah, I can say almost no money on, but, but you do get some enjoyment out of it and, you know, yeah. it takes a lot of effort and work. And, uh, and, you know, you suddenly fall in love with it. So that, that is what Elma has been to me. I will be very, very sad when it's over. And, um, uh, but yeah, that's, that's been an, a great part is to see like, yeah, you do have these options in life and, uh, and yes, you have to put food on the table and you got to work a job and all that stuff, but, but you can do other things that, you, know, you bring you joy. Yeah, it's a because this for me doing this podcast here, it's not an essential. Mm -hmm. It's not. It won't make money. Yeah. But it's something that like you have had to work really hard. I don't think I had no idea mm -hmm. what goes into this. Yeah, I can only imagine. Extent. Yeah, I can understand. But it's such a, a passion. It's great. I'm really enjoying it. And uh, also, uh, I was listening to um, someone who uh, makes a, a podcast in America, and he was saying like, if you just went to ask someone, said, look, can we chat for twenty minutes? He'd probably just tell you to get lost. <laughs> Whereas if, if you email and say, like, I'm doing a podcast I'm from the UK. People say, oh, yeah, that sounds great. I'm up for that. <laughs> well, it's funny. So, I would say I'm the opposite because anyone who reaches out and wants to talk about Elton, like, yeah, like I went and had dinner for four hours with someone <laughs> just because they asked. I'm like, yeah, let's talk about it. This is great. <laughs> well, uh, one of the other guests is, and I think you may have misunderstood who it is. It's Satori Shikar from the Society of Twisted Secret Society of oh, Twisted Storytelling. Okay, all right. Yes, I know you're talking about that. That's yeah. So, and uh, she re she's really enjoyed the talk. And in fact, we I'll be honest here to the listeners. I had some real technical problems, and it didn't record. Oh, nightmare! Oh my god! Nightmare! nightmare. Rookie mistake. Oh. But I didn't ask her to do it again. But she kindly said, "Let's do it again." I really enjoyed talking. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> so, so that's great. So so one of the things then, Tom, what I'm really interested in, because you've had this project and it sounds so important to you, and I understand that. 
what next? What are you going to do next? Obviously, you've got your career and your business, and I'm like that too. But what are you going to do next? Um, you know, I don't know. I I, I kind of had this passion for the city and and a passion for artists that I've I've tried to think of things that kind of related to that. Um, at one point, I was exploring. There's lots of abandoned tires throughout the city, so at one point, I was exploring a project where I wanted to collect like ten thousand tires and try and get an artist to make some piece of art out of them. Uh, and I yeah. met with an artist and had a conversation with him. He actually had done something similar, smaller scale years ago. So that one's still kind of, you know, as a possibility. There's also a ton of tiny libraries throughout the city. Um, I don't know if oh, yes. That. Yeah. And uh, but a lot of them are empty. So I've kicked around the idea of maybe having a project where for a couple of years, you know, volunteers go through. Uh, oh, by the way, all of these kind of correlate getting more people involved because there are lots of people ask if they can be part of Elm. But. It's okay, a weird yeah. project to include other people. So um, I thought about getting people, more people involved in refilling tiny libraries on a consistent basis. And then the craziest one that I've, I've come up with lately is to try and do every linear mile of the state of uh, Michigan. Um, That's pretty crazy, I would say. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little more intense. Yeah, I, I think there, I, I did some quick calculations and I think I need like five to 7,000 volunteers to help do it. Is that all? Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> it'd be a little tricky, but I do think it'd be kind of a, a cool project to kind of highlight state and, and art throughout the state. So, I, I think it'd be I think it'd be incredible. It'd be amazing, especially for people who don't know. And I, I've not been there, but the Upper Peninsula looks phenomenal. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it beautiful, stunning. Yeah, it's a beautiful forest land, mountains. Uh, yeah, it's pretty beautiful. So, Tom, one of the things I'm just interested in, because aside from um, focusing on Detroit, one because of people I'm interviewing, it's about projects that they started, which might be like a cultural document like yours, but it might also be a project that helps the homeless or it's therapeutic in some way. When you you're dealing with difficulties how do you get through that what do you do hmm. um i mean i think i i have a an interesting friend collection i mean i have what i would say my core very close friends and i have a lot of different pockets yeah. of friends and so i think all of them have some impact and some level of uh offer me some level of support in my life i've come from a fairly big family of six kids and, right. and my my siblings you know i can reach out to at any time i need help got a girlfriend right now who's you know wonderful and uh and so i think i think for when i have needs i think it's a balance of all of those individuals and knowing you know i i hope i provide them with the support that they have and yeah. i come and have an ask or need to talk or want to walk through something uh, that they're there for me. And, and I think we, we strike a good balance with that. And, and I appreciate all, having all of them in my life. So that's social and community element. What about, I mean, do you do specific practices? Like do you do uh, meditation or gratitude practices or just reading or whatever it might be? No, it's funny. I, I, for me, my life is kind of a balance of work, personal life, just, you know, have, getting out with friends, seeing family, especially around the holidays, and then yeah. and then fitness of any sort. And so this this project is obviously a big part of it. And there's a lot of follow-up activities like, you know, podcasts and, and those kind of things. So um, that's a big balance. And then I do some, play some tennis. I play volleyball every week. So I think that kind of rounds out my life and kind of gives me the the satisfaction and, and uh, enjoyment that I need. Yeah, you've got that social, you've got the exercise, you've got getting out, yeah. uh, which sounds fantastic. Mm -hmm. One of the things I, 
I'm also interested in, uh, because obviously there's a, there's a spirit about Detroit, but in what way do you think Detroit mirrors or is different to, say, a wider America? Thing. Um, I guess, like, if I, if I think of, I think of the America as, as, a, as a human body, uh, I would put Detroit, I would call Detroit its heart, meaning you've got hands and feet, and the hands are exploring different things, yeah. and the feet are keeping it moving in a direction, but, you know, you need to have the, the heart that keeps pumping and keeps the, the country kind of moving. Um, and I think kind of the hardworking, you know, dedicated folks who kind of make up the demographic of Detroit, uh, that's what they are. I feel like they're, they're the heart of that country. And um, I feel like that's what kind of keeps America going. And, and you got to keep exploring those other ways. Yeah. But kind of I feel our role is in this in the U.S. society. Fantastic. That's I mean, that's. That's interesting, not something I thought of. And I guess as a, well, certainly an industrial society, I'm not sure if it's post, it's not post-industrial, but it's um, had a lot of changes as yeah, well. Because sure. you had an art, you had an exhibition, didn't you, in Chicago, where you had all these pictures around? Um, I have a friend who uh, is having me in for an exhibition, yes. Yeah, um, okay. And she actually bought, I think probably about 15 uh, photos and she had it blown up as kind of created a wall with it. So, but I haven't, we haven't scheduled today for me to have out there. And that's funny because her selection yeah. mirrored uh, my girlfriend did a whole thing on her wall and there was a lot of overlap. So when you asked for photos, I kind of went through and said, all right, I can tell which ones people are really attracted to. And that's why I sent out to you. You know, when you started off your project, you started off L. Yep. And I, I'm not, I don't think I got this from you when we talked before, but did you have any doubts about it? You know, did you just think, oh, this is stupid? Or did you start it and then think, oh, what's the point? Um, I, I just don't think I, when I think of I started, I didn't know what I was really getting into. I really didn't have a clear idea of how long it was going to take. I mean, uh, I have an engineering degree, so I did some like cocktail napkin analysis and, uh, and I kind of had that idea, <laughs> but I also didn't know how much time I was going to have to commit to it and, you yeah. know, work and personal, uh, conflicts might have with it. So I didn't really know. Um, and, but I think once I even got like three weeks into it. I didn't have any question of finishing it. Like I just, I fell so much in love with that. I remember yeah. halfway through, actually, I was on a ride and um, I was a very, in a very kind of graffiti type area uh, and it's winter, it's cold. And I ran to um, an older couple out walking their dog and, and they could tell I was doing something odd and they came over <laughs> and, me. And, and I told them about the project. And what I realized is um, they were both artists and one gentleman has written a couple of books on artists in Detroit. And so he was he was an interesting person to have like suddenly asked me a ton of questions. And one of the things he was saying is that like artists as a whole usually get bored of their projects and want to move on. Like it's hard okay. to have a project that you love and you sustain mm. for a long period of time. And maybe that's because I'm not, I don't consider myself an artist in any capacity. So for me, the passion of it just kind of self-sustained where it just kept going and going and, and, uh, and at this point, I don't want it to end. Like, I'm kind of sad that it is going to. But um, I don't think I had a doubt. I just didn't have uh, enough accuracy to know when it was going to end. It. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you just embraced it and carried on, and uh, which yeah, is, uh, yeah. I guess, the main thing for lots of projects. But is there anything that you would have done differently? I think I think I might, if I would have started all over, I might have gone a couple of different directions with it. So it's really had, you know, two elements, and that is the, the biking and the, the photos of art. Um, about a quarter of the way into it, I started taking pictures of tiny libraries, and I wish I would have done that from day one because I would love to capture every single tiny library. Um, I've also thought 
it would have been interesting to talk to some people in the city to say, I'm doing this. Is there anything you'd like me to like capture, collect, document, you know, because this yeah. isn't going to happen every day. So um, a couple of small things like that. Uh, but, you know, anything I added would have just added to the time and it might have taken me four or five years to finish because, you know, more stuff. <laughs> you know, I guess on that note, so you've spent several years now doing that. And obviously Detroit, it's hard to gauge from afar, but there obviously is a lot of change in Detroit. And I, as I understand it, they are taking down some of the old sort of buildings that are actually quite risky. I think it's fire hazards and things. Of sort of a lot of the work that you've taken, because it's like a cultural archive as well. So, uh, do you, how much of it do you think is still there? Or do you think a lot of it is actually gone now i you know it's funny i think probably a big chunk of it is still there i think because there's no question there's buildings have been boarded up and but at the same time there's also been buildings that have you know were on the edge and now they've kind of fallen apart and there's new art in those that i've missed or even in some of the kind of more Mm. established areas where you know there's paid artists to create pieces some of that has been created in the last three years and i haven't captured it now those pieces I usually hear about because someone else tells me about a post picture and I go back and capture them. But I'd honestly say I think there's probably more new art that is out there mm. than old art that has gone away. I mean, that's the impression I get when following things on Instagram. I mean, other people post murals and some amazing stuff. And you can tell that it's very new or it's yeah. certainly been redone. And so it's quite quite wonderful stuff. Yeah. I mean, does, does Detroit have a sort of, does it attract artists or does it naturally generate lots of amazing indigenous artists? No, it's, it's got a core, um, you know, collection of artists who, who've been here forever and, you know, younger artists. There's a couple of... Um, Art schools in downtown and downtown Detroit. There's a, a fairly established one that's been there forever. So you do have a kind of a homegrown organic art scene. Uh, but I literally have run into dozens of artists who moved here for some reason. You know, they they just kind of visited the city once and fell in love with it and and came out. Or people like yourselves who heard about it from afar and had some yeah. interest to it. So I can't say it's like a mecca for. Um, for people moving, for artists moving the city, but there's no question people do, and uh, and I think some of it is kind of the, the canvas that you have to work with. Some of the things you know, you fall in love with the culture and the people, and and probably a variety of other reasons. Yeah, and it it does. My sense as well is that it's a sort of fairly unique place in terms of the geography, the amount of buildings, and like you were saying when we talked before, you know, the massive population loss, and you're suddenly left with huge numbers of vacant lots and vacant property. Um, yeah, and and that property, you know, abandoned buildings kind of give you some canvas of you know, I'm a young kid and I. When I like practice my art and I can find an abandoned wall to use. But some of it is even just like you have this big pieces of land and, and suddenly the land's wide open. So if I want to create some art installation piece, uh, there's space to do it. Like um, a couple of weeks ago, I was riding and I found a road of shoes where someone had gone out and collected <laughs> thousands and thousands of shoes and they created this kind of winding path of shoes for, I don't know, uh, a quarter mile of shoes. So you can't just do that in you know New York City, but and it's very <laughs> to do things like that. Is there a picture of that? Have you got a picture of that one? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I, haven't, no, I don't know if I posted that yet, but yeah, I definitely have. Yeah, okay. Because so. I saw one on Instagram of uh, it was a house and basically leading from the front porch, the front door, it was just hundreds and hundreds of empty bottles of yeah. all sorts of different sizes. <laughs> so, yeah, you know um, what that is? That's actually uh, a memorial thing. So, oh, is it really? Uh, oh. Yeah, often, and I don't know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't be an expert on inner city, but often that is uh, someone who has been killed at that location and right. friends go back to celebrate that individual's death and they leave bottles and then they go back and leave more bottles and I don't know if they're all drank on site but yeah those usually represent some kind of memorial of, of a death that was lost there 
Wow. So that so then um is people respect that. So it's I'm always amazed that people don't just come along and smash them and things yeah, like that. Yeah, because it looked like they've been there for a long time. Yeah, yeah. To accumulate some of I mean, sometimes there'd be hundreds of bottles like that. And yeah, I think there is some respect like here in the cemetery, you don't yeah. And it, is that is that an American thing or is that a particularly sort of Detroit thing just because of the, the way that the area is? Uh, I, you know, I don't know that. So uh, Detroit's the first place I ever saw it, but I can't say I've explored other regions to know that or not. Well, uh, I think I might try and get a photo of that as well. So, and I guess probably finally, Tom, uh, in terms of if you're thinking about, because I guess Elm, I think I saw it described in an interview you did somewhere else. And uh, I think it was described as a sort of passion project. And I guess for people who listen to this podcast, so if I think about myself, if you'd have told me a year ago, I'd be sat here interviewing someone like yourself and other people from Detroit and be, de- well, actually doing it and everything that goes into developing a podcast and the financial layout and all those sorts of things, I would have probably said you were absolutely bonkers, absolutely nuts. But there will be people listening who had sort of have got an idea about doing something and it, what would your advice be to people? You know, have you got any tips about they've got this idea, this germ of something they want to do, how to get it, but they're really quite daunted by it. Yeah. It's funny. I thought about that a lot because um, if it's something you really, really enjoy, like you'll be surprised how easy it is to make the time to get it done. And I also feel like, you know, going into it, I didn't, I didn't know how long it could take, but that wasn't the point. I mean, I was doing it for myself and my enjoyment and it wasn't some big, financial win that was behind it. Now, if you have that, that's a slightly, you know, if your passion project is financially driven, then you yeah. have to think about a little more serious and and put some goals and some timelines in place. But if it's something you just think like, this is an interesting thing to do, then, you know, just get it started. And if you really enjoy it, trust me, it'll keep rolling. Yeah, which is, I think, what I've found from this. If, you, if, if I'd have known how much work and all the other different things that go into actually doing a solo podcast, I probably wouldn't have started. Yeah, no, nowhere. But, but if, and, if you love it, it, it won't seem like work. I mean, there'll be challenges and headaches along the way, but, you know, you'll just think, well, that's part of it. And I get to do something I love at the end of it. So. Yeah, and you and that's what I love is the fact that you've created this amazing. I think it, I mean I, I described it as a cultural archive, but I think it's wonderful as well. And also, what I really like is when you on um, I think on the website posts, um, I really like you always put some little quirky facts about Detroit or something. It was great. Where did you get all those from? Because yeah, it seemed to pull out loads of interesting ones. Yeah, like you know, when I think about the project, you know, blogging was something I'd never done, and and sometimes I think blogging is a little even old fashioned at this day and age. But I had feel like I had to do some form of documentation. So when I was thinking of the format, I thought, all right, well, it might be nice for people who, because I do want to promote the city. I was like, all right, I'll put yeah. interesting facts out there. So yeah, I was googling like crazy, and and now you know some hundred and fifty rides in. I kind of wish I hadn't have done it because now it's getting harder and harder to find. Uh, interesting facts <laughs> and it's funny because there are certain facts that like if you live in Detroit you know facts and you're like so I've always tried to pick facts that even local Detroiters might not know uh, but as I the challenge to up by interesting facts has become harder and harder I put some more like standard one out there uh, but I, the funny thing about those is I often find that people who reach out to me from other cities or other countries they are often like drawn to that or they're like wow I didn't know that and I'm like oh okay Okay, well, everyone here does, but glad you enjoyed it. So. Uh, I've no, I really, I really, I can't remember anything off the top of my head, but I really like them, little quirky facts and things. But I am thinking about coming to Detroit in June or July. So, oh, really? Uh, yeah, it'd be great to meet you, even if it's just for coffee or something. Yeah, Andrew, for sure. Uh, coffee, a pint, whatever you want to do. I, yeah, a pint? Do you call it a pint? No, I don't, but I know you guys do. So. <laughs> <laughs> do you just call it a beer? 
Yeah, you just you just say grab a beer. Yeah, um, I worked for uh, a company. Tough. I worked for base, a company based in London for um, for two years, and so uh, I was on the phone with with Brits all the time. So you soon do get used to the language, uh, and I went over and visited <laughs> a couple of times. So yes, I usually just. I think you are you're the yeah. first. You're the first American, I think, that I've heard ever say the word pint. Like, <laughs> Can you say it again? I love it. You want to get a pint? <laughs> it's great. <laughs> well, it's funny. The other thing that the one thing I know I I stolen from you is uh, or from British culture is I cheer like ending emails with cheers like cheers like yeah I had a coworker who would do that all the time and I was always ending mine in thanks like yeah. thanks Tom and sometimes it just didn't make sense because I'm like okay you just asked for something I gave it to you and I'm I'm ending it with thanks Tom and so I switched to cheers Tom and that's usually my default signature now and the funny thing is with that. Sometimes people are like, are you British? And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? I had no idea. So if I put, if I put cheers on mine, then it, it basically it's a giveaway. Uh, in some sense. I mean, I don't think it's that uncommon here, but it's, yeah, it's definitely not as common. <laughs> and I live close to, so Detroit's right across the, the water from Canada. Hmm. And as a kid growing up in Detroit, at least in my generation, when you were like 17 or 18, you went over to Canada to drink because the drinking age was 19 and you could get fake IDs. Um, So I spent a lot of my teen years hanging out in Canada. So I often say the word A a lot. You'd be like, do you have a good day? And that's a very Canadian thing to say. So um, especially when I was younger, I would get that all the time. Like, are you Canadian? Like, oh, sorry, no. Ignore the A. (laughs) I've noticed you've got the, is it the Cadieux Cafe or something? Uh, Yeah, the Cadieux Cafe. is. Yeah, just loads of good Belgian beers. Uh, Yeah. The other interesting thing about Cadieux Cafe is uh, Cadieux Cafe has feather bowling and i think it's the only place in the united states that has feather bowling sorry what is feather bowling <laughs> never never heard of it in my entire life so what feather bowling is is think of a um think of like a bowling uh lane distance but yeah. it's a dirt it's a dirt track or a dirt a lane if you will and the dirt is pretty hard packed and it's kind of a little sloped on both sides and at the end of the lane you have a feather sticking out of the ground so I was thinking it's like a big dirt lane with a feather sticking out. And you have these wooden discs that are like, um, I don't know, maybe uh, eight inches uh, wide and maybe four inches thick. So there's these big wooden discs. Yeah. And you roll these discs down the lane and you try to get them to like roll, 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 and then flop down on the feather. And <laughs> it's the weirdest game, but I think it's the only place in the United States that has it. And uh, where, where does it come from Belgium? Uh, I think it might. I, I, it's not an American game. I know so. You know it comes in some place. So maybe so it's it never rivaled baseball or anything for popular. No, 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 not at all. Oh. Uh, yeah, but if, if if you if you come, I'll think we'll go to Kedju Cafe and we'll do feather bowling. So that uh, sounds good because we've yeah. got uh, I've got some friends in Belgium. I shall check that out after in, uh, they live in Ghent. So I'll check. Out. Well, <laughs> never yeah. heard. Never heard of it. So, yeah, uh, uh, I'm actually. You know, we have a another thing called foaling here in the in Detroit. Fol- foaling. Yeah, so um, it, that definitely started in Detroit um, because it's gotten a lot of press for it. And basically, it's a bowling lane, but you have teams stand on both ends of the bowling lane, so it's you know, uh, there's no end to it, and yeah. you have pins set up at both ends of the bowling lane, and then you have footballs. And so teams stand at the other end and you try and throw football to knock down the other team's pin. <laughs> and I mean, that's a, that's actually harder than it sounds. Like even guys who are good football players have a hard time with like the angle and the projection and stuff like that. 
But the other challenge of the game is you play it at a place where there are like 10 lanes next to each other. So not only if your team knocks down your pins, but if some of the random ball comes in. So like, you know, football, American football will bounce all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of have to watch your opponents knocking down your pins and then you have to guard against other like random footballs bouncing in. Uh, and it sounds like a dumb game, but the place is done killing, and now they're going to start to open up other ones across uh, uh, the Midwest. So it's pretty fun. It sounds really fun. And that's a Detroit thing. That's definitely a Detroit thing, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what's that called again? It's called Fowling. Um, Fowling. Yeah, F-O-W-L-I-N-G. Uh, and the place is called the Fowling Warehouse. Um, it might be. Oh. Yeah, it might be a fun story because it's a couple of guys. Um, the story that I've heard is, they used to go to the Indianapolis 500 every year. Yeah. And every year they'd try and create something different in the infield. Like they would build a bar and or build a tiki hut. And so one year they made up this game and they brought it to the infield. Uh, and it's a very portable game. You just kind of need some platforms to put the bowling pins on and stuff like that and, and a football. So they built this little structure and they were just amazed how much fun people were having with it. And then they came back at Detroit and they found some abandoned warehouse that they could rent for dirt cheap and they ran it for a couple of years out of that uh and then they moved to this huge facility um uh on the edge of detroit and uh yeah they're, they're doing pretty well it's pretty cool and i have to say those two games are amazing <laughs> and that's they're gonna definitely get included by the way so well, that sounds fantastic here's another one that i don't know if it's from detroit but it's a fun like youtube look uh look up whirly ball so w uh w i W-H-I-R-Y-B-A-L-L. Whirly Ball is, and we've got a couple of them in Detroit. I don't know if it was made here. I'm assuming not. But Whirly Ball is basically you're in bumper cars. You know, yeah. Right? Oh, I like those. Yeah. I'm sorry? I like bumper cars. They're yeah, great. So, so they're bumper cars, but all the players have a, a, a scoop in their hand. So it's like a, a curved <laughs> stick, if you will. <laughs> and then you have a wiffle ball. So basically teams are going back and forth passing the wiffle ball back and forth to each other. So if you think about it, you've got this scoop with a wiffle ball in it. So if someone hits you, it's easy to like jar the wiffle ball that goes flying up in the air, and then you, someone else scoops it. Uh, and at the end, you basically have basketball hoops, if you will, that you're trying to shoot them in. So it's kind of like a combination of, I don't know, lacrosse maybe, and bumper cars and basketball. Fantastic. And you've, you've got, I don't know what they call them, courts or whatever it is. Yeah, uh, yeah. You in Detroit? Bumper, yeah, you have a bumper court. Yeah. They're really, they're just made for whirly wh- 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 ball. So, yeah, they're just like, <clears throat> yeah, if you think about it, it's a go, um, bumper car court, but it has walls to keep the ball in. And, and you can bounce the, you, you can use the wiffle, like you pass the balls back and forth. Anyways, if you Google it, you'll see a video of people playing it. Um, yeah, it's a hilarious game, and there's probably you know, six or eight places in Metro Detroit that has that. Wow, that sounds like heaven. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> we have a lot of dumb games in the city, I guess, so who knows. I think I'm supposed to be going to places like the DIA when I come to Detroit, not playing uh, Whirly Ball. <laughs> well, the DIA is beautiful, so you have to do that. So, yeah, if, if you get ready for that trip, <clears throat> you know, if you're trying to figure out, like, what you should and should not do with your time, uh, yep. yeah, let me know. I, I'd love to, like give us some suggestions. We'll definitely meet for a pint or whatever, but I'd be glad to help plan your trip any way I can. Yeah, that's fantastic. So look, Tom, I really appreciate your time. It's just fantastic. And I really appreciate you know, chatting to you. It's been fun. You know, it's yeah, more, than just, it. uh, more than just a podcast. It's been really <laughs> good fun. It's been really, really entertaining. Well, if you and, anything uh, else, sir, please, please, please don't be shy about it. I, w- okay? I will do. And uh, I've got a, got a good lineup and I'm interview- interviewing a few more people. So. And actually, I have to say, maybe this is an American thing. 
but you guys are the friendliest people. It is just a, the most generous people. <laughs> well, it's funny. Like I, I don't think that's a, I don't think you can say that's an American thing because you really, you know, so many of the regions have different personality. Like New Yorkers, you know, are usually not as friendly. You know, like I, there's certain personalities that you know, and that's they're not mean, but but New Yorkers it would be the classic example. Like, yeah, not everyone's that friendly. I do find, you know, the Midwest as a whole is fairly friendly. Uh, I think Detroiters, are just, you know, if we've stuck it out and, and there's that pride of the city that we, especially any outside attention, people are just kind of drooling over. Well, that's it. End of season one. And what a blast it's been. I've really enjoyed doing all of this. It's been fantastic. Plumbing hard work. And uh, I have to say, my, my mind has been boggled at times by how much work there is to do. So actually, I'm having a break, which is really nice. So uh, I'm going to take the next four weeks off and then start recording uh, interviews again in September. It's been so good. And the interaction I've had with you guys has been brilliant. Tom has been great and he's one of the people I've sort of got to know which is really nice uh, which is sort of strange you know given that people are three and a half thousand miles away and we've hit a global pandemic so actually to make contacts and be able to offer posit- a positive view of a small part of the world and what people are doing uh, it's just fantastic because we we seem to be live, living in a world riven with division and animosity and conflict and this is not an answer to that and it's not a solution certainly not a solution but it's a tiny piece demonstrating that goodness that I think is uh, there in so many people and uh, I've really really enjoyed it I hope you have so one thing that would be really helpful if you've got any ideas things you'd like to know about let me know I know that Sylvia uh, from Holland who listens in regularly uh, who's a jazz musician jazz singer she's asked if I can do one on music so that's in train to do maybe a general one about music who knows Uh, there's other ones planned as well but if you've got any thoughts just let me know and I'll see what we can do Um, on the show notes there is a link to the Kadju Kadju Cafe one to its website but two to a great podcast on the Kadju Cafe and the history of Belgians in Detroit uh, from the Detroit History Podcast Podcast. And that's really, really interesting. It's great. And uh, I would give that, give that a listen. And also, if you you may have noticed, you follow me on Instagram, I'll probably put them on the website at some point that each show I rec- um, when I record a, an episode, I'm usually drinking a, a mug of Earl Grey tea. And on Instagram, I've been posting some of the mugs that are special to me that like Father's Day mugs, a, a mug from when I worked uh, years ago with Mennonites in London. That's a story in itself. And uh, if you've got a, I mean, it sounds silly, but if you've got a favourite mug, do let me know and send send a picture. That would be great. And all rem- all that remains to do is to wish the people who've helped me for my family, Han with all the work with uh, design of the website, etc., to all the other people that have been involved and give friends who give me support it's just been really fantastic and really, really good. I do appreciate it so much. And I wish you all well and have a great summer. Keep safe and uh, look after one another. Take care then. Bye.
Thank you.